0: This is a free download from the De Delancey Ealing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m. in the Delancey Ealing Church building at Le Banks, St Sampson's, in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyealing.co.uk. Dream that governments, political parties, and corporations grasp the urgency of the climate and ecological crisis and come together despite their differences, as you would in an emergency, and take the measures required to safeguard the conditions for a dignified life for everybody on earth. Because then, we millions of school-striking youth could go back to school. I have a dream that the people in power, as well as the media, start treating the crisis like the existential emergency it is, so that I could go home to my sister and my dogs because I miss them in fact I have many dreams but this is the year 2019 this is not the time and place for dreams this is the time to wake up this is the moment in history when we need to be wide awake and yes we need dreams we cannot live without dreams But there's a time and place for everything and dreams cannot stand in the way of telling it like it is. I wonder whether you recognize that speech. We all know who this amazing girl is. You can't turn on the TV You can't open the newspaper. You can't go on Twitter without coming across Greta Thunberg. She is this activist, this amazing activist who has gripped the world because of her belief and her passion. She's taken on the world quite literally. She's protesting for a better planet. She's protesting for a better way... Of living, and she's calling for governments, she's calling for leaders, and she's calling for us to wake up up and to make a change. This is a demonstration of faith in action. What a girl! What a girl to see her do what she's doing. A 16 year old. She's 16. Don't know what you were doing at 16. Probably not this. Well, I don't know. You might have been. I wasn't. 16, she begins a protest. She begins a school strike. Why? Because she's so enraged by what she's seeing around her. And she wants people to do something. She says, we've got an emergency on our hands. And we know it. Climate change. It's an emergency. And she's passionate about saving our planet. And of course, she doesn't stand alone in this activism, does she? I don't know whether you've seen all the protests this week going on. Okay, protests about climate change. She's gathering thousands with her. People the world over are rallying behind her, joining her in this protest march. And people are not just joining in the protest, but they're joining in a commitment to make a difference. Committed to make positive changes in their lifestyle, and in their behaviour and what they're doing in order to preserve the environment. People are going, actually, you know what? I kind of think this is important. And because I think it's important, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to change something. I remember when I was 10 years old, I wanted to do my bit for the environment. So I decided to make bird hides in my spare time in order that I could sell them. ...to raise money for the GSPCA. I wasn't great at making bird hides, to be honest. It didn't last very long. I spent the summer doing a project on saving the orangutans. Um, but no, I wanted to raise money so that they would stop being endangered. Again, it didn't last that long. But I tried to do my bit. I didn't ever reach the dizzy heights of Greta Thunberg. I did my little bit, but it was something... It was a contribution, even though it might have been a bit smaller than hers. Now, I'm not going to be talking today about the environment, although I'd love to, but I'm not. I'm not going to be talking about climate change, though that might be another day. But I want to make this point, that when somebody really believes something, when it really grips their heart, when they're really passionate about something, it moves them. And it stirs them into action. It drives them to do something. And as Greta Thunberg said to the US senators in Congress, that's the speech I just read at the beginning, she said this, you keep saying that climate change is the most important issue of all, but then you carry on as before. You say it's the most important thing, but then you don't do anything about it. You don't make the change that needs to be made. And in her thinking, she doesn't get it. It doesn't add up. She doesn't understand why they're being like that. Their words, their sentiments don't add up, don't match their actions. There's nothing worse. It's there when you meet somebody and they just all talk. They just like to talk a lot, but they don't really do much. They like to say a lot and spout their opinions and beliefs, but they don't really act upon them. Nobody really cares what you believe or what your beliefs are until they see those beliefs in action, until they actually see that that belief, what you hold to, makes an impact on your life, your lifestyle, your behaviour. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called To live a life of genuine faith. Of genuine faith. So I want us today to look, what is genuine faith? What is that? Does it look a little bit like Greta Thunberg? Let's turn to James chapter 2. We're going to continue looking at this great book. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. It's up on the screen if you... Want to follow. Faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. So also faith, apart from works, is dead. It's quite a challenging little passage for us there, tucked away in James. Because James is seemingly telling us that people can claim to have a faith, they can claim to have a faith, but actually, is it a real faith? Is it the genuine article? What type of faith are they holding to? So what is genuine faith? Well, James outlines for us what it's not. So let's start there. Let's start at what genuine faith isn't to get an idea of what it is. John Piper is a great theologian, and he kind of sums it a little bit like this. First of all, in verses 14 to 17, we've got what we would call a dead faith. It's not a faith which believes one thing but doesn't act. A genuine faith is not a faith that believes something but then doesn't act upon that belief. It's it's not selfish. A genuine faith is not selfish. So if someone presents themselves to you with a desperate need and one that you can actually do something about because there's many things that we can't always, but when someone presents themselves with a need that you can do something about, that you can meet, but you decide not to do anything and you don't do something, then James is saying, well, your faith is dead. It's a dead faith. Faith that doesn't lead to action. A belief that doesn't lead to deeds. A belief that isn't outworked really isn't any faith at all. It's just really a dead faith. Okay. All right, James. So a genuine faith is not a dead faith. It's not one that's just got a belief but doesn't act. And then he goes on to say, a genuine faith is not a head faith. In verses 18 to 19. It's not a faith. A genuine faith is not a faith that just depends upon what we know. A head knowledge. Our doctrine. It's not something that we just believe. Because in verse 19, it says, well... Even the demons believe in God. The demons believe God exists. Demons believe in Jesus. So a genuine faith has got to be more than just this acknowledgement, this belief, this head knowledge and our doctrine. A faith that affirms truth but doesn't change the way we live. It's a head faith. It's in here but it hasn't gone in here and it's not outplayed. Intellectual belief doesn't quite cut it when it comes to what we call a genuine faith. So genuine faith, it's not dead. It's not a dead faith. It's not a head faith. It's not something we just hold to as doctrine. And in verse 20, he talks about the fact that it's not a useless faith. Faith without deeds Faith without works, he says, is useless. What's the point? It's useless having a belief but no action. I could just stand here and declare all I like that I want to preserve the environment. I think it's really, really important and, you know, bang my drum for the environment. But that's a bit useless if I'm not actually going to do anything and change the way that I live. What's the point, James is saying? If we have this belief but... Nothing happens because of it. Because our deeds and our works and the way we live our life is a way of authenticating the faith that we hold to. That's what James is saying. So, you might be thinking, okay, well I've read in the Bible about St. Paul and St. Paul says we're justified by faith, but then James is talking here about being justified by works, what's going on. Well, let's have a look for a moment. Because when St. Paul says in Galatians 2, that we are justified by faith. It says this, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Oh, okay. So what type of faith then is Paul talking about here, what kind of faith are we justified by? Well, I think perhaps Paul is saying, look, you're justified by a genuine faith. You're not justified by a dead faith. You're not justified by a head faith. And you're not justified by a useless faith. But you're justified by a genuine faith. So no, we're not saved by works. We know that. We are not saved by works. It doesn't matter how much works you do. That doesn't save us. But we're saved by faith. In Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, that's what is our salvation. But it's a faith that leads to works, that we're saved by. It's a faith that makes such an impact on our life that we go and do something about it. It's a belief system that we hold to that matters and changes the way we live. That's the genuine faith. So Ephesians 2, chapter 2, 8-9 to may tell us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But actually, although it says that, there's no contradiction here with what Paul and James are saying. Because James isn't saying we're saved by works alone either. That, that's not what James is saying. Rather the faith that we're saved by is one that is coupled with works. Works are not an addition to the faith. It's not like we have faith and then we're going to add works on top of that to make it right. They are just a result of placing our faith in Christ. It's like when you really, really love somebody. When you really, really love somebody, you don't have to add stuff on to make things happen. It comes naturally out of your love for that person because you want to express your love to them and you want to show it in acts and works and deeds. It's a natural outflowing of your feeling. Works are not done apart from faith, but done in faith. Not done instead of faith, but rather done because of faith. Works and deeds verify our faith. They authenticate it. Not works of faith, Religious ritual, not works of routines. No, not that type of work. That's not what I'm talking about. How do we know what type of work it is? We looked at it last week. It was in chapter 2 in verse 8. And it was the royal law. It was the works of love. It was the royal law that James was telling us. Love your neighbour as yourself. Deeds and actions that express our love for other people. Because true faith, we're told in John 15, will produce fruit. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So faith and works go together, just like Laurel and Hardy, or Anne and Deck, more my thing. Like cheese and crackers. I'm just trying to think of a whole load of things (laughs) now. Christmas and chocolate oranges. Maybe that's not for you, but it is for me. Faith and works. It's not either or. It's a faith. It's a living faith, a genuine faith, and it spurs us on to do great things. Acts of love that changes us. And James goes on further to show us what genuine faith looks like because he uses some examples. And he uses the examples of Abraham and Rahab. So James cites Genesis 156 in verse 23 of that passage. And it says this, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So James has pulled that verse from Genesis 15, and he's quoting it now in verse 23. Abraham believed God. And what? It was counted to him as righteousness. You see, the context here is many of you will know is that Abraham. Um, has been promised a son by God he says you will have a son and your descendants will be great just look up at the stars your descendants will be as numerous as the stars that's that's what you're going to have Abraham that's what I'm promising you but the situation that Abraham was in looked impossible it didn't look like that ever could happen Abraham's 100 Sarah his wife is 99 and in our logical reasoning you don't really have children at that age so the the situation abraham is in it seems what how is this even going to happen this seems impossible but what does he do abraham he believes he trusts he puts his faith in god for the promise and he believes god he has a faith and it's a faith that has nothing to do with his deeds, nothing to do with his works. He just puts his faith in God's promise. That's what he does. And it says this, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So as he put his faith in God, so he was considered righteous. But James keeps reading Genesis, and he moves on to chapter 22, where God tests Abraham. And he quotes this in, his, in, his, in the passage, God tests Abraham by asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. What is God testing? God is testing Abraham's faith from Genesis 15, verse 6. That's what's being tested here in this moment, where Abraham said, I will trust you, I'll put my faith in you, God, for this promise. And then, years later, God is saying, will you sacrifice your son? And James says it's the proving of his faith in verse 24. He was justified by what he did, by his works, by going and being obedient to God. What does this mean? Is is James saying two different things here? That he was justified by his faith in God and now he's justified by his works? It was credited to him as righteousness just to believe, but now it's justified by works. What's going on here? Well, we know, because we just read it earlier, that Paul says we're not justified by works. Has James got something wrong? I think this. I think what Paul is saying when he talks about justified by faith is saying this. From the very outset of our Christian lives, no amount of works, no amount of deeds, no amount of anything can save us, okay? We're completely saved And we're completely justified by God's graciousness and his mercy towards us. When we first make that initial faith in him and trust in him, when we give our lives over to God, we're justified by faith. And I think this is really what James is saying too, because he says that Abraham's faith in that first instance was counted to him as righteousness right from the outset when he believed, just like when we first believe. It's all because of our initial faith. But James goes on to show how we continue to hold on to the faith and the assurance of being right with God. Because 12 years later when Isaac had been born and was about that age, we think about that age, he was asked to sacrifice, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. So quite a few years have gone from that moment of saying, yes, God, I trust you in in your promise and I put my faith in you to this point now where he's been tested. And Abraham maintains his right standing with God through his works and through the display of his faith in that obedience to God. We see Abraham's faith displayed. It's not just merely a belief in what God has said all those years ago, but he has a faith and we see it. It's there. It's in front of us. We, uh, we see the demonstration of Abraham being obedient to God. And this is what Paul, St. Paul, confirms in Galatians 5, 6. What counts is not just faith alone, but faith working through love. Faith working through love. Faith that justifies, proves itself through love. And then we are left with Rahab as well as an example because here is someone who just risked it all. She took a massive risk to hide the messengers of God, um, a risk for her and her family to provide a way out for them. And she showed her faith. She proved her faith. You could see it in action. You could see what she was holding to in her belief. And I could pick out so many examples And you will have examples in your own life as well of where you have this great faith, this great belief, and it's outplayed, it's outworked in people's obedience, in people's great expressions of love to others. I want to read you one example that might be familiar to you. In 1901, a seven-year-old Indian girl named Prina escaped from a Hindu temple and sought refuge with a Christian named Amy Carmichael a young woman who had come from Ireland to share the gospel in India according to Prina's story her widowed mother had dedicated her as a child to be married to the gods which ultimately meant a life of prostitution and a traumatised child whose hands had been branded with hot irons as punishment for a previous escape had heard that Amy Carmichael, she had heard her talking about God, a God who loves everyone. After checking into the details behind this child's story of alleged abuse, Amy Carmichael concluded, Investigations not only confirmed the child's story, but unveiled an evil greater in its extent and more grievously unholy in its character than ever imagined. On the spot, Amy Carmichael made up her mind. Since these things are so, she said, I must do something about it. Later she wrote, I mean it with an intensity I know not how to express that such unutterable wrongs in the name of all that is just and all that is merciful should be swept out of the land without a day's delay. For Carmichael, Purina's escape launched a 50-year career in intercepting and retrieving girls and babies from a life worse than death and giving them a home. And you might know that story already. But it says this, The heart of the missionary is for a better now. When the missionary becomes incarnate, they not see, they not only see and hear the pain of others, but they feel it. Tomorrow is never quick enough. People need God now. The field is white unto harvest. The needs are endless. The cries are constant. And if there is anything we can do, then we must. We just have to. If there is money we can give, we must give. If there are hands to hold, we must reach out. If there are invitations to respond to, we must go. Faith. Genuine faith in action. Faith doesn't stop, does it? The moment we surrender our lives to Christ and we say yes. It doesn't stop the moment we accept forgiveness and mercy and grace. Actually, that's just the beginning. That's the beginning of our journey. And faith, our genuine faith, will lead us into action. Sometimes we can get so caught up in thinking that to be saved, to find salvation, means to be saved for life after death. Be saved for eternity, and of course, it does mean that, but actually, we can forget, as Benjamin Corey said, that what's more important, well, as important, let's say, is the right here and the right now. So, we weren't just saved for eternity, we were saved from an old way of living, right here, right now, into a new way of living, right here, right now. That's salvation. As well as being saved, thank the Lord for eternity, that we've got a place to go after this life. But actually, let's not forget that salvation means that we've gone from our old way of living into a new way of living. That's what baptism is all about, isn't it? And that we should be changed. That our genuine faith should be changed. And actually, that was the way of life that Jesus described as eternal. I'm going to close in a moment. But what does genuine faith look like? I think it looks a little like Matthew chapter 25. When Jesus talks about inheriting the kingdom of God... He says it is those who, when I was hungry, you fed me. And I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, you gave me a room. I was shivering, you gave me clothes. I was sick, you stopped to visit. I was in prison, you came to me. And all those who wouldn't inherit the kingdom, they were perhaps the ones that had the dead faith. Or the head faith. Or the useless faith. The one who Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited. Don't get me wrong. This is not what James James was not saying. I want you to do more stuff. I want you to do more works. It wasn't that. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying you've got your faith. Now add on a pile of works. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying is that when we have our genuine faith that it will just naturally result in doing stuff, acts of love, from the small things to the big things, from the little words, the little notes, the little expressions of love to the bigger things. And it's interesting that this passage in Matthew is completely and utterly centred around the royal law from last week's passage, love your neighbour as yourself. It's not centred around anything else, we might think, because it's not centred around a list of sins. It's not centred around piety. Jesus isn't saying, those of you who will inherit the kingdom of God are the ones that have never sinned they have not done stuff wrong or have lived a very pious religious life and those of you who won't, you're the ones that were sinning all the time. That's interesting. Now what does he say? No, no, no. The ones that inherit the kingdom of God are the ones that have a genuine faith. Their faith has changed their life and they've acted in ways of love. They've been so stirred that they've been motivated and moved. Genuine faith is one that we see. We see it in our love for one another. We see it in our love for others. We see it in the way we speak. We see it in the way we interact. We see it in the way we use social media. Does what we know about God actually matter to us? It's not just a head knowledge. How is our faith seen? When we look at the different areas of our lives, and believe you me, this has been challenging me all week. When I look at the areas of my life, my time, my energies, my actions, habits, my words, my finances, everything that I am, what does it reflect? Does it reflect that I'm more concerned about me? I'm more concerned about the things that I like? Or does it reflect that I'm more concerned about others? Because I bang on about being concerned about others. I say I'm really, really passionate about other people and I'm really concerned about other people and I really want to see an end to poverty and I really want to see justice and I really want to make people feel good but let's break down my life for a moment. Let's just pause button on my life. What is it actually saying here? Is my head, knowledge and belief falling down into my heart? Is it being outplayed in everything that I am and all that I do? As Greta Thunberg said, we don't want to be people who make claims about what's most important then carry on as before. I don't want to make claims that are important and just carry on as before. God help me. And invite the worship group to come back. And we're going to end at this moment. But you know what? This is a a message that has challenged me this week. Lord, not a dead faith, not a head faith, not a useless faith, but a genuine faith. A genuine faith. And I think we do have genuine faith. But sometimes, sometimes in the areas of our life, maybe we could have a little look and just be challenged a little bit more. Maybe. James is saying to us, you're not justified by works alone. We can carry on doing all the good deeds under the sun, acting in love in all things, but that's not going to cut it. You're not justified by works. You're justified by faith. But it's a genuine faith. It's a faith that lives out, shows people, what love really is. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.